this is Bridget. And this is Emily. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now, today, we're pretty excited to talk through something some of y'all might be familiar with, and that is the landscape that is mom bloggers. So you'll notice that I didn't actually say, quote, mommy bloggers, because I don't actually think that term encapsulates what moms and women are actually doing on the internet. This is the most on-point mom stuff episode ever, I think, quite frankly. So for everyone who's ever looked at the title of our podcast and said, Am I going to hear about mom stuff? Today, the answer is yes. But whether you call it mom blogging or mommy blogging is something we're going to leave up to you. Yeah, I have I have made the choice to call it mom blogging only because I feel like mommy blogging is a way of encapsulating the kind of writing that is taking place when a mother writes online. I feel like it's a way to say, oh, she just writes about raising her kid. When in reality, a lot of these women are writing about divorce, depression, self-doubt, postpartum depression, all these really important, heavy topics, and they just sort of get framed as moms on the internet talking about mom stuff. Or like mommy stuff. I guess there's something a little extra patronizing about mommy. It's a little infantilizing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, because if you're a woman who writes about what it's like to raise an interracial child in America, that's not just mommy blogging. You're not just blogging about applesauce and diapers. That's heavy stuff. Right. And then again, there are some mommy bloggers who proudly call themselves mommy bloggers and say, why shouldn't I write about applesauce and diapers? Absolutely. So no shade to either of them. We're, no. we're screwed, basically. <laughs> we know that we're going to be, as non-mothers ourselves, we know that we are going to put our foots in our mouths at some point during today's podcast. And this is your disclaimer to please go easy on us. Thank you. Thank you for adding that. <laughs> so first, let's take a look at the mom blogging landscape. Moms actually account for a huge chunk of writing on the Internet. According to Women's Marketing, there are 4.3 million mom bloggers out there, and 500 of them are considered to be extremely influential amongst other mothers, which is a very coveted advertising market, isn't it? Absolutely. Something I found really cool about looking at the mom blogging landscape is how many of these writers were able to spin their mom blog into really lucrative projects for themselves. I'm talking about influential bloggers like Jenny Lawson of The Bloggers, who's written several books and is a columnist, Rebecca Wolf of Girls Gone Child, who has a nursery decor web series with HGTV, and Rage Drummond, a.k.a. the Pioneer Woman, who I have to admit (laughs) is kind of one of my favorites. I love her, too. First of all, her recipes are... are Easy and unhealthy. Her recipes are (laughs) delicious because it's all made with, like, butter and oil. She's like, no, just throw a little couple more sticks of butter in here. She has this, like, really delicate way of being like, just load up the fats in your food, and it's delightful. And I'm like, yes, Ray, you are so on point, Pioneer Woman. I will do that. Yeah, no shade to her. I, She's like my problematic fave. I love her. <laughs> I probably make her recipes every night, so shout out to her. Aww. And really, I think it's interesting how these women have taken something that for so long has been looked at as not important or frivolous or without literary merit and spun it into actual media empires, shows on TV, book deals, web series, and all of that good stuff. I think it's impressive in today's writing economy for any blogger who can turn their blog into a lucrative business. And I love seeing these women who happen to be moms crushing it. Definitely. So it's interesting that you say that because one big aspect of the mom blog landscape is marketing and brands and other ways of making money. So you know how moms often go to other moms for trusted advice when they're having a tough time with motherhood? That's one reason why the mom blogging space is so ripe for marketing and money making. There's a real connection between mom blogging and brands. 
Totally. According to eMarketer, parenting and pregnancy websites are the top source moms and expectant moms use to learn about products and services. 55% of daily active social media moms say they made their purchase because of a recommendation from a personal review blog. And mom bloggers are 21% more likely than the general blogging population to be approached by a brand. Wow. I got to get into mommy blogging. Yeah. (laughs) Have a kid first, maybe. Right, yeah. I mean, you don't want to take my sage advice on how to have a baby and be a boss mom right now. You could now. do dog mom blogging. Oh that's my a, that's god! A, you could start that. I don't think that's. I don't think anyone's doing that. If someone's doing that, doggy mommy blogging. Yeah, coming to a web series near you soon. <laughs> I love that. Let me just get back to the point here, which is bloggers have transitioned in terms of their marketing strategies and business models around blogging over the years. In the early days of blogging, a lot of writers made money through banner ads. Do you remember those? Yeah, those were those rectangular ads, the top of copy that you would, you're supposed to click on and it takes you away from the thing that you're reading. Yeah. And remember. And they're still out there, quite a bit of them. I mean, Google display ads are a big part of that. Um, and in the good old days, those ads were very successful. The first banner ad was for AT&T and it ran on a site called Hotwired in 1994. Of the people who saw it, 78% clicked on it, according to Susan Beidel, a senior analyst at Forrester Research. And is that true today, Bridget? It is not true today. As you, me, and other folks that read content on the web get more savvy, you know we're not clicking on those banner ads. We know to stay away from them. We know not to click them. And so now they don't really get as much traction. Now what you see is the rise of native ads or sponsored content, sometimes affectionately known as SponCon. You can think of that as Instagram photos that have a picture of a cute kid eating a specific kind of yogurt or someone goes on a trip and uses a specific kind of hotel and they take beautiful pictures of the hotel for their Instagram and shout out the hotel chain in the copy. And BuzzFeed has pioneered sponsored content in a lot of ways. A lot of their posts are sponsored by a advertiser, but the content of the post itself is not necessarily about the product or service. It's sort of, they make a connection based on what the campaign is that they're writing. It's very complicated in terms of ethics around it, which we're going to get into. Yeah, it used to be when it was a banner ad, it was clear editorially and visually that you were clicking on an ad. Now it's much more difficult to tell sponsored content from editorial content. A good example would be a BuzzFeed quiz where it's build a Subway sandwich and I'll tell you about your personality or something. And it may be fun to click through, but actually you're you're engaging with an ad that can be a little tricky to tell it, it, it is. Usually... It will say sponsored content in some form. I think they legally have to tell you. I was going to say it should. Absolutely. Beyond that, it can be like I found myself clicking through a quiz or reading an article and later come to find out like, oh, this was an ad. I was just engaging with an ad for 20 minutes. (laughs) That's like a dream come true for advertisers to hear. And, you know, the question is, is that a bad thing? Did you enjoy the quiz? Like, is it necessarily evil? I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't necessarily think so. And I think that's where this issue gets so complicated. Because on the one hand, I think it's great if women who are moms want to make extra money by, you know, putting out sponsored content. Good for them. They should be, they should be making extra money. But a lot of critics out there say that this push toward monetization and this push toward social media platforms like Instagram and away from gritty first person actual editorial content is making the mom blog landscape a lot more sanitized, where it used to be a place to find really authentic writing about the realities of motherhood. Now it's this beautiful, polished, airbrush place that makes motherhood look 
one, kind of boring, but also kind of easy. Well, it's the rise of like all the problems with lifestyle bloggers in general, too. I, I think back to our episode on Pinterest perfect life. And I would venture to guess that people aren't reading mommy blogs to see how perfect your life looks like, right? They are looking for connection and relatability and, and solutions to challenges. And there are critics who would say that the rise of sponsored content has made the world of mom blogging less authentic. It used to be, you know, chronicling women dealing with all kinds of challenging issues like postpartum depression and divorce. And now, like you said, Bridget, it looks like a beautiful distilled version of your pastel perfect Pinterest perfection mom life, which is not possible. It just it sets this expectation for moms who are not living that kind of a curated life to feel bad about themselves. And I think if there's one group of people who don't need more incentive to feel like they're doing a crappy job or to compare themselves to others, it's new moms. I mean, being a mom, as I understand it, is a pretty hard thing to do. It has ups and downs. My friends who've just had kids are like, yeah, I got no sleep because my kid was up all night vomiting and I don't know what to do. Or I feel like a crappy mom because I did X, Y, Z. If there's one group of people who should not be feeling like they need to compare themselves to someone who seemingly is crushing it all the time, it's moms. Yeah, let's give moms a break instead of raising the bar. Absolutely. There's this great article in the Washington Post called How the Mom Internet Became a Spotless Sponsored Void by Sarah Pulliam Bailey. And she argues that the early days of mom blogging used to show the unflinching, gritty realities of motherhood. And now it's given way to this perfectly manicured vision of what motherhood looks like. She writes, this is the mommy internet now. It's beautiful. It's aspirational. It's also miles from what motherhood looks like for many of us and miles from what the mommy internet looked like a decade ago. She describes this prolific mom blogger, Heather Armstrong, who had the deuce.com in 2001, and basically how the push to make the mom landscape look perfect and airbrushed and manicured and curated basically drove her from blogging. She writes, when Heather Armstrong launched deuce.com in 2001, the emerging mom internet was dominated by blogs, and those blogs were raw and authentic. Some writers focused on parenting, but many used a wider lens to chronicle the ups and downs of their lives. Armstrong wrote about her depression, her time in a psychiatric hospital, her divorce, her experiences growing up in the Mormon church. And she goes on to say that what we've lost in the quest for sponsorship is, quote, a source of support and community, a place to share vulnerability and find like-minded women, and a forum for female expertise and wisdom. It's just so sad, says Armstrong. It's all these staged, curated photos that don't show the messier parts of life. Yeah, the Washington Post goes on to say the biggest stars of the mommy Internet now are no longer confessional blockers. They're curators of life. They're influencers. They're pitch women. And so you really have these competing forces where on the one hand, it's women who want to chronicle the grittier realities of what that life looks like and other women who are really more in the space to sort of show that curated life. I want to talk more about Heather Armstrong and how this impacted her work with blogging after this quick break. And we're back. We were just talking about Heather Armstrong of TheDeuce.com and how her story really is a great example of how the rise of sponsored content has changed the mom blocking landscape. So Armstrong, like we were saying before, was really known for these candid, confessional, kind of gritty looks into her life as a mom. By 2011, she had 100,000 daily visitors, and the New York Times called her the queen of mommy bloggers. And so back in the day when views and readers really paid the bills through display ads, it sounds like that was working for her. 
But now that the rise of sponsored content has more to do with Instagram and visuals, and we know that people like Instagram visuals that are aspirational by nature, it feels like the message that she wants to put out there is no longer working with the new medium that makes money. Exactly. One quick technical point about that is, like most of us, we aren't really using our browsers and our computers as much to get content. You're usually scrolling through your phone. And because of that, less bloggers are having their own standalone website, you know, mominvirginia.blogspot.com. You're more likely to have Instagram or Facebook be the destination. And so because of that trend, and that's not just a mommy blog trend, that's an internet trend writ large. Yeah. And, And so for me, I guess... I feel a little defensive, I think probably because I'm in the space, because I'm a writer, because I'm a blogger, because I have my own brand. Not that we've been sponsored yet, uh, but I'm not at all not interested in this conversation. I feel like vulnerability is welcome on the Internet still. You know what I mean? Like if she wants to blog about depression, if she wants to write about her gritty real world battles of motherhood, I think there's an audience for that. I think the Internet would love to see some authenticity on Instagram. And it requires being courageous. And you know what? It might mean that Tide isn't going to sponsor your depression post. And that's just the that's the consequence. You know what I mean? Like, I get what she's saying, which is that the financial incentives make it less viable for writers who want to write about the real stuff and make it much more incentivized to write about the sanitized version of motherhood. But nobody's stopping you from putting your message out there on the Internet. That's supposed to be the beauty of the small d democratization of our media. Just don't expect to get paid for it by sponsored advertisers. I think you're on to something for sure. But I guess her point would be women don't need another place on the Internet telling them to buy Tide Pods. Women don't need or another to eat them <laughs> or eat them. Moms don't need another place on the Internet telling them what kind of yogurt to buy. They need real camaraderie. And I think that's what she's saying. She's saying that this push toward Instagram and sponsored content is leaving a lot of moms who relied on this sense of community and relied on sort of getting that, having a place where they could talk authentically about that because that's no longer a popular thing with the rise of sponsored content, that these women are losing out. I hear you and I call bullshit on that whole argument because first of all, what has made my business successful is the community we've built online. And it took a long time. It took a lot of work and nobody sponsored it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you want to create community, create community online and it'll work long term. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you don't you can't expect to get paid to build a community. You have to build the community first and then find a way to get paid for it. And quite frankly, I think Instagram influencers who are doing it right in a sustainable way are building community and they're limiting how much they sponsor the content that they're putting out towards that community so that they're not harming the actual value that people are getting from their content in the long run. Because that's the risk you run. You run overdoing it and harming it. There's a 2080 rule out there on on the internet about sort of influencers. All of us have to produce 80% free stuff, free value that we're giving to our community in order to justify a 20% ratio of selling them stuff. And I think that's part of the golden rule of the internet. You expect to get free podcasts in your earbuds. You expect to get, you know, free Instagram inspo recipes every day. You expect to be sold to on occasion. You expect to get an advertiser interrupt your programming on occasion. And that's the deal we're all making with our, with ourselves. And it's not easy as a creator. So I get what she's saying. I just think you've got to adapt your message for the medium as it changes. 
Yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> but my, I guess. I'm not trying to come down on her too hard, but no. I do feel sensitive about this because I'm in the mix. Right. I get what you're saying. Maybe you shouldn't expect that you could write a gritty post and get paid for it and have that be the situation. But I also think it's fair to ask, what are we losing out on in this new situation? You know, before, pretty much anybody who wanted to put a message out there, you could use, these bloggers could use banner ads and you could write a, you know, long form piece about your postpartum depression Mm. and make a little bit of money. That's no longer possible in the new blogging landscape. And so I guess the question is, where does that leave women? Like, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? And I think what you're saying is fair that, you know, you shouldn't expect to get paid for, like, if no one's, if Tide isn't going to pay for your depression post, that's, you know, suck it up and deal with it. But I just think that there's a, there should be a place online where that kind of content can do well. And I don't think that the, the landscape that only privileges, you know, moms who are killing it is doing anybody any favors. I agree. And I would challenge brands to say, maybe you don't have to align yourself with perfection. Maybe you can align yourself with authenticity. Maybe there's a brand out there that will say, you know what? Life is hard and our consumers get that. And we want to sell to them in ways that show that we understand that too. Bridget, the capitalist is coming out right now. I'm just saying there's got to be a workable way to make this work for everybody. And it's clearly not working now. Yeah. Well, there's a financial argument, I think, to embracing vulnerability. Here's what I would say, you know. Back in the day when the printing press was the only means for mass uh, production of compositions, that certainly limited people, too, you know, and that limited the messages that we heard. And once the printing press was revolutionized to daily papers, that let more voices come into play. That let more creators write for money. And then after people stopped buying newspapers, things changed again. This is a never-ending conversation about how the medium shapes the message, not to get too, you know, psych 101 or media politics 101 on us, but I just think that it's kind of cute to be shaking your fist at a cloud saying, back in the good old days of 2009, the internet was structured properly to reward the right people. And now that it's, you know, seven years later... We're mourning the loss of the structures that paid writers. I get it. But this cycle of like disenfranchisement is going to continue and we have to figure out what we're going to do about it. See, I actually feel completely different as someone who is a content creator who's worked for publishers. I think that what's happening on the mom Internet is happening everywhere. In the Washington Post article, they actually talk about how as a publisher, they're dealing with the very same thing. And so. I think when you look at the way that Facebook, not to get on my like anti-Facebook high horse, but look at the way that Facebook has made it so that publishers and content creators are completely at their will, right? right? Facebook can wake up one day and say, we're making this tweak. So all of the money that you put into this one content strategy, the entire staff that you've built up to placate to this strategy that we said was a winner is done. Fire them all. When you see publishers clean house and get rid of entire staffs like Funny or Die did earlier this year... That's what's going on. And I think it's fair to ask, what are the nuances that are getting lost in the way that technology and social media is shaping the media that we produce and the content that we produce and how it gets consumed? Mike, drop. You've got me, Bridget. Let's do it. Let's ask those (laughs) questions. I love it. Yeah. One person who was asking those questions is blogger Josie Denise, who shuttered her blog American Mama a few years ago. Basically, she got fed up with the way that she says that brands and sponsored content made her feel muzzled. When she first got a check for 
you know, writing a sponsored post for something, she was excited, but then she got this feeling like brands were watching her. So she didn't want to write anything too dark, anything too gritty, anything too real, lest that money dry up. And so when she decided to quit blogging, she wrote this scathing open letter called Dear Mom Blogger to the community, basically calling the whole thing bullshit. Josie's letter says, Dear Mommy Blogger, nobody is reading your I mean, no one. Even the people that you think are reading your they aren't actually reading it. The other mommy bloggers sure hell aren't reading it. They are scanning it for keywords that they can use in their comments. So cute. Yum. I have to try this. They've been told, like you, that in order to grow your brand, you must read and comment on similar sized and similar themed blogs. The people clicking on it from Pinterest aren't reading it. They're looking for your recipe or helpful tip promised in the clickbait or your before and after photo. They might repin the image and then they're done. The people sharing on Facebook, they aren't reading it either. They just want to say whatever it is your headline says, but can't find the words themselves. Your family? Nope. They're checking to make sure that they don't have a double chin in the photo that you post of them and zoning in on the paragraphs where their names are mentioned. So basically, Josie is saying, mommy bloggers, nobody's reading your shit. We're all following the same guidebook for how to get followers. So for any kind of engagement you're seeing is not actually meaningful. It's just another way of people trying to get more followers for their own brand. Emily, you have you seem like you have a lot of thoughts on this. What do you think? I think this woman had a fit on the internet. Um, and I find it really offensive. <laughs> I mean, maybe nobody's reading your shit, Josie. Maybe the sponsor money that you started getting paid for your shit on the internet, which you say no one reads, became really limiting and muzzling to you. And those golden handcuffs were just too much to bear and you couldn't be your authentic self as a writer. And, uh, maybe you should just stop getting paid and write whatever that is that you want to write. And then no one has any control over you i understand the frustration i just think that she's blaming other people for how the internet works i don't get that of course people are self-interested everyone wants to write their own come up story everyone wants to be able to get paid to do the work that they love but very few of us do and i think she should read um there's a lot of great writing out there done by elizabeth gilbert a book called big magic about the quest for creative sustainability quite frankly after her mega hit that a lot of people roll their eyes at called eat pray love and the struggle to actually write something again after a weird overnight success story can i say something very random please i recently met a sminty listener in brooklyn who has an eat pray love quote tattooed on her back so shout out to you. You know who you are. Thank you for showing me your tattoo. I hope you hear this. Good, because I love Elizabeth Gilbert. I loved that book. but And it was the book I needed at that time in my life when I was really struggling. And quite frankly, what Elizabeth Gilbert writes a lot about, what Cheryl Strayed writes a lot about, is this common quest we have for creative fulfillment and financial stability that has, like, as this tale as old as time. So please don't complain about how the internet works, because it has never been easier for you and any other random person to have access to the tools to write something so profound or to write your life story down, even if it isn't profound, and start becoming the writer that you want to be. You just risk not being paid for it, as have every writer throughout the course of time, right? We've all struggled with that. I struggle with that. And it takes a long ass time to be able to get paid to do what you're doing if you're lucky enough to be a creator who has the privilege of being paid for their creations. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm like surprising myself at how strongly I'm responding to this person because frankly, I think it's a challenge to herself to write something better. 
Well, you're not the only person who feels that way. A lot of the people who read her open letter said pretty much the same thing. They said, this person sounds really unhappy. This person sounds hateful. This person sounds like they are having a hard time coming to grips with their own hangups as a creator. And they're rather than looking inward, they're looking outward. So you wouldn't be the only person who felt that way in the community. A lot of people felt really offended by what she said. And they weren't too keen on being called, you know, bullshit peddlers. Yeah. I do think something that she is really kind of onto in her letter is the way that the professional blogging industry can play on sort of giving people the quote-unquote magic tools to be successful for a fee. And so she goes on to talk about conferences and things like that where you pay lots of money to learn the tips and tricks and that that ends up reinforcing that people are all behaving the same way online because they've been told this is how you make money from it. Mm -hmm. And that it's like an echo chamber where people are not having authentic reactions to content. Mm. They're doing what these consultants or trainers or whatever say, this is what makes money, but that that becomes a cycle of those people making money and it's not actually what is necessarily going to produce good content. And so I do think that she's onto something there that it kind of can become a little bit of a racket where people feel like, oh, I have to pay all this money in order to say anything on the internet that's going to be seen. And I don't think that's good. I think that people should feel like they can put their idea kind of like what you were saying people should feel like that they are empowered to put their ideas into the world and maybe they'll get money maybe they won't but we should be able to have a marketplace of ideas and content and all that content should be able to you know get an audience if it's good like i think that's what they're saying that it used to be that good writing is what made you an audience and good writing is what gave you money and now they're saying it's good sponsored content. The writing is taking a backseat. And again, I see that writ large all over media. Big media outlets like the New York Times are saying clickbait and things that aren't necessarily true but will rile you up. That's what gets eyes on Facebook. That's what gets eyes on social media. It isn't this long form, authentic, well-written, well-researched piece. It's clickbait. It's things that make you angry. It's things that will make you be, you know, losing your crap in the comments. And so, I, I think that's absolutely unquestionably true. I don't think it's particular to the mom blog industry, but I think it's fair to ask what gets lost when our media landscape changes toward those elements. And I think we should do more of that after a quick break. And we're back, getting a little heated, talking about mommy blogging, or mom blogging, as it's more <laughs> generally known. And again, I know I said this earlier in the show, but I want to be clear that I don't want to come down on anybody. I think that if you're a mom who is writing or is reading really gritty, authentic stuff, that is awesome. If you're a mom who wants to make extra money posting Instagram pictures about how your kids love Tide or whatever, good for you too. I'm just saying that it's worth it to ask questions about what we lose when we shift from one into another. And I just think consumers and audiences should be clear about what it is they're consuming. If it's ads, totally. they should be clear about that they're getting an ad. Totally. You know, I think that I've seen examples, particularly with celebrities, where it's the line is a little bit fuzzy and the FCC agrees and has fined them or come down on them. And I think that we should just be, as consumers, clear on what we are getting and what we are, and as creators, clear on what we're creating. I completely agree. And I love what you mentioned earlier about moms are seeking community on the internet. I think we all seek community on the internet in our own way or in general in life. And so if you are a creator who's only going to create according to the very current status of how to make money from your creation, you are missing the point. Like the long-term benefit, in my opinion, 
is in creating a community where people feel seen and heard and creating content that helps foster that authentic connection online. That's Those are the communities I want to belong to. Those are certainly the communities that I'm creating. And I want to acknowledge that sometimes the the financial incentives can bring people off course, uh, but they're never worth it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're never worth veering too far off course. And I'm sure our listeners will help us hold ourselves accountable if we ever veer too far off course in that way. And um, no, I think it's a really interesting discussion about how moms in particular are worthy of being seen and validated for who they are and what their life experiences look like, not this, you know, sanitized Instagram Pinterest perfect version of it. That's exactly what one Reddit commenter on the subreddit blog snark had to say. In response to the post article that we quoted from earlier, she writes... I don't want my internet filled with supportive communities that encourage honest sharing and, yes, even, quote, confessional-style expression to be replaced by delightful pictures of immaculately clad children eating chia pudding out of teeny, teeny mason jars. (laughs) Just no. Well, you know what that reminds me of is who does that really well? Who balances that line really well? Chrissy Teigen. Chrissy Teigen is beloved not because of the perfect teeny tiny mason jars that are in her Instagram posts on occasion or her beautifully laid out and photographed cookbooks, she is popular because she keeps it real, because she shows you the gritty crap that exactly. goes on in her life. But she can keep it real because she doesn't really need the money. Right, that's true. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, what I'm saying Double-edged is, sword. it's a privilege to be able to keep it real, right? Uh, if you, it's a well, privilege to be no, able to. I don't think so. I think you risk not getting paid. But it, people oh, who, what that's saying. what I'm saying. Yeah, people yeah, yeah. who yeah. can make that risk are people who or have just, money. Yeah, be broke, like me sometimes right yeah i mean mean? that's what i'm saying like i'm saying let's not pretend that there isn't a element of privilege that goes on here that if you are a struggling single mom who has something to say that you but you need to work two jobs you don't have the you don't have the ability to say i'll just make this content on top of my two jobs and motherhood for free and not get paid for it and so i'm saying that that impacts the landscape of who whose voices gets raised and whose yes. voices we never hear. And so I, I do think it comes back to that. Yes, that is such a good point that I was totally missing. So what you're saying is the way that the market rewards like winners and losers on the, in the mom blog space determines in a lot of ways how privileged the voices are that we actually hear from. Exactly. And that is important. Yeah. Exactly that. How can we fix that? I think it's, I think it's, people are asking that question all over media. I don't think, I don't know if there is a fix. Maybe this is just how our media landscape is and it sucks and it's new and it's scary. And it is, it, I don't know. What about I don't know advertisers? How Can't advertisers do better to reach out to more diverse voices, more unheard voices, more? I mean, it's not in their financial incentive necessarily. But maybe it could be, right? right. That's what I was saying earlier. Yeah. Maybe there's an advertiser out there that has enough respect for their consumer base that they want to sponsor reality. They want to sponsor what it actually looks like to be a mother. They want to sponsor, you know, I love the natural hair community. I think they've done a great job of showing, you know, we're going to give money to women who don't necessarily have perfect hair all the time so that women can see Yo, if I don't have perfect curls that fall and spiraled ringlets around my face in a perfect way every day, this product can still work for me. Mm. Nobody wants to buy the product that seems like it's made for girls who look perfect already. You want the product that's going to be there for you when you're dry and you're crispy and you're not looking your best. It convince me that your product will be there for me when I'm not looking my best and I'll I'll be a, I'll be a follower for life. I hear you. 
Aspirational is the challenge. Yeah. That's the, the world we live in is aspirational advertising. People don't want their product next to crispy hair. They don't. But women with crispy curls need a product that's going to work for them. So like where, where yeah, does that? Yeah, but isn't, they want a product that will make their hair not crispy. Yeah. That's maybe the aspirational yeah. part of it. I'm someone who is always like, that girl has perfect hair and she, her hair always looks good. Like this product is not why her hair looks good. Her hair always looks good. Well, I think that's part of, okay. So here's an example. So I'm struggling a lot with my skin right now, as I'm very public about on this podcast and on my Instagram. Um, I'm currently trying to go gluten free to help Ooh, figure it out skin? for my skin, which is the worst because I love carbs. That's part of why I love veganism because I could just live on bread all day. Anyway, I think that part of my life might be coming to a close. So I've been really working on my skincare, gladly accepting products for free from, from people who send them to me for me to then try it. They're not sending to me because I have perfect skin. They're sending it to me to see if it helps my skin. Right. And I'm trying it and sharing my journey with a lot of my followers to see if it works. And I'm not going to like pretend it works if it doesn't. Right. But, but that's so that transformation, saying. like you were saying about yeah. hair, that's what people want to see. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like more people should brand- sponsor me. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. More <laughs> people should sponsor you. But also that brand should get that nuance that aligning yeah. yourself with perfection is not what people necessarily want to see. It drives self-doubt and self-doubt is probably a very effective way to get people to buy your product um, but what people actually want to see is someone with problem skin not to say that i you have, have problem skin. skin i do okay. have problem skin. well That's someone fair. with problem skin problematic skin yeah they, people <laughs> want to see that someone with problematic skin that a product will help them you know if you if yeah. you're making a product for people with problem skin it doesn't make sense to only have people who have naturally yeah. glowing skin even though that is you know the attainable goal we are very self-interested in today's podcast, y'all, if you can't tell already, because do you know who are perfectly imperfect spokespeople for any product or service? Is you and I, Bridget <laughs> I agree. Look at how fallible we are. I agree. I mean, sponsors should be banging down our doors <laughs> because of our imperfections. <laughs> uh, I totally agree. Speaking of imperfect sponsors, I would be remiss to not shout out one of my favorite things in the SpawnCon world, and that is... Celebrity SpawnCon, one of my favorite podcasts, Who Weekly, does a great <laughs> job of breaking down the ins and outs of Celebrity SpawnCon. And it once once you start seeing the tropes, it's everywhere and it's amazing. And so definitely start looking. My- also, just Who Weekly in general is amazing. You turned me on to them. Oh, and God. It's, it's like a, a tabloid read. So, again, to just if you're wondering Who Weekly, what the hell is that? You know how there's <laughs> Us Weekly and it's about A-list celebrities? Imagine if there was a magazine called who Weekly, for all those celebrities where you're like, I kind of know who that is, but who are they? <laughs> who is that, that guy from that thing? Yeah, like, yeah. oh, Bella Hadid. I know that name. What's she in? Rita Orr. I think I saw her in this thing, but what's, what is she known for? All these people that are in your celeb landscape that maybe aren't, you know, A-lister. aren't thems. They're yeah, who's. They're- <laughs> and so who's have the best sponsored content on Instagram of anybody well, it does actually relate because something that they point out so well is when celebrities, particularly who's, are so clearly being paid to hawk a product on Instagram. One of the funniest ways this comes across is when you can tell a celebrity is just copying and pasting yes. the caption that they're getting from a PR person for a product into the Instagram caption. And Naomi Campbell has done this. <laughs> Even Lord Scott Disick has done this. And one of the funniest ca- Instagram captions I've ever seen it's a picture of him with some sort of protein powder. And the caption that he has on Instagram is, here you go at 4 p.m. Eastern time, write the below caption. 
keep up with the keep up the <laughs> keeping up with the summer workout routine with my morning oh. and then at the product it's oh, so man. funny i mean so this is just my 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 psa so much of what you're seeing on instagram is just BS. And just know, we know that, but it's always good to have a reminder that it is. Scott Disick, I'm very surprised that you just didn't even read this. You copied You're and pasted. Surprised. I mean, actually, no, I am surprised. I expected more from Scott Disick. I'm going to say it. Scott, if you're listening, I, didn't. I expected more from you. He's like, who? What? Who weekly? Oh, man. Y'all, we really went off the mommy, uh, mommy blogger rails here, but I, I hope this conversation got us thinking, got us asking some tough questions. And I think the best point that you made in this entire conversation, the best point made period in this entire episode was what you said about privilege, the ways in which our media structures create winners and losers, create capitalist, you know, people who are creating things that are worthy of capitalism's financial reward versus not can have strong ramifications for those who get erased from the content sphere altogether. And that's really, really problematic. So I want to hear from you, Sminty listeners. What is the kind of content that you want to see in the world, whether it's in the mommy blogger space, sorry, the mom blogger space, (laughs) or, you know, in podcasting and blogging and Instagram creators in general? And how can sponsors, how can we create a marketplace for better, you know, sponsor to creator connections to make what we're seeing on the internet not all protein powder with pasted captions. <laughs> it's a great question. And I think it's a question that's important to be asked. And it's one that I really want to throw to our listeners. You know, are you a mom blogger? Are you a content creator? What does that look like for you? Has it been difficult? Or have you embraced the Instagram Pinterest perfection of mom blog content? Or are you out there trying to keep it real and be gritty? I'm really just curious what people are doing online. So make sure to hit us up on Instagram, our very unsponsored Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You, on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast, and as always, our inbox is open at Mom Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. And just as a final reminder for those of you who want to join my fireside chat that I'm having with Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners at the end of this month. I'm talking about my departure from the show, answering your questions, and getting your feedback on how I can still create the kind of content that you want to hear. At the end of the day, I, as a creator, am really committed to creating what you want to hear more of. So join me to communicate directly with me live on a webinar I'm hosting on February 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern by going to bossedup.org slash sminty. That's bossedup, B-O-S-S-E-D-U-P dot org slash S-M-N-T-Y. Hope to see you then. 